0: I'm here again with Gary Platt. Long time no see, Gary. How are you?
1: I'm very well, thank you. How are you?
0: I'm good, thanks. I'm good. Thanks very much for coming back on this podcast, joining us again. Okay. We were talking about this before, and you said that you want to talk about competency frameworks, which are in many ways kind of a, I don't know, a bit of a kind of a dud of a thing. It's it's something that sort of hangs around organizations, adding zero value, mm-hmm. but people sort of, you've got to go through these processes with with them. And I know you've been doing some work on those. Do you want to just introduce why you want to talk about this topic?
1: Well, really, it's for exactly the reason you just outlined in the vast majority. And that's not an exaggeration. The competency framework is a giant white elephant. It doesn't contribute anything. It doesn't improve anything. It doesn't make anything better for the host organization. And in many cases, it's something that the HR function has created and developed and foists it onto the rest of the business who, you know, play along with it. But it, it doesn't, and they, frankly, the only time they actually use it, if at all, is at appraisal reviews when they mark people against these competencies. But other than that, in the majority of organizations, they sit in the bottom of a cupboard till, you know, they're called out next year.
0: Yeah, no, that's certainly my experience of them. And I, I have actually used them now and again. I've sort of made the effort and opened them up and read them properly and and, and tried to use them. And there is actually yeah. usually some wisdom in there, some quite good stuff in there, which I suppose shouldn't be a surprise. So um, mm. how do you want to go through this? What do you want to talk about first? Should we talk first about what they are?
1: I, I think what they are and what they're meant to do um, and then really... Going on from that, you know how they can be, how they might be employed and used and developed. If you know, if you wanted to go down that route.
0: Okay, so we're going to talk about what they are and, and what they're meant to do. Then, I suppose we should sort of talk about how we should do them properly. A little bit about that, and then think about how we can apply them to L and D.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sound good? Yeah, yeah, that's good to me.
0: Great. Okay, so let's talk about what what they're for and where they came from. Who thought of these? damn things
1: well the origins are actually the first reference to competences in a kind of organizational context began in 1959 so they've been around for quite a bit yeah it was by a guy called r.w white and it was a psychological review article and it was called motivation reconsidered the concept of competence so that's when they first kind of you know, raise their head, it was back in the the
0: 50s, um, 1950s. It's a lot longer than I thought. Yeah, I thought they were like probably a 90s invention or something like that.
1: Well, when they really started to take off and they they really took off in America, it was in the early 80s. And the guy who kind of uh, championed them or, you know, began to cut ice with them was a guy called Richard Boyatzis. Basically, he wrote a book called The Competent Manager, and that was published in uh, 1982. But but what's really interesting about that work by Biazis is how he defined competencies, how he originally employed competencies, and then what they have subsequently become and what we have today.
0: Oh, right. I'm I'm sensing that there's some drift from the original intention to the Uh, way they're used today.
1: Completely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so yeah. so
0: what yeah. did what what did he originally intend then?
1: Well, this is how, this is how he defined a competence. It's, these are his words. The underlying characteristics of a person which leads to superior performance. Now the key word there is superior performance. And what Biaxis did was to say, look, what, what we should concentrate on and what we focus on is what's the difference between average and excellent now that is in my experience radically different from what you encounter now in you know in in many organizations i mean i mean what's your experience of what the general competency framework in most businesses describe what what does it feel and look like to you
0: um i think its main function seems to be to describe how different grades would approach the same Behaviors. So, if if I can think of an example, like for um, communicating, yeah, the difference between if you're in a a senior position, grade ten or whatever your grading system is, how you would be expected to communicate would be very different than if you're sort of grade two or three and you're essentially an individual contributor. Yeah, yeah. So, the best way I suppose I've seen them used is that. So, it's essentially explaining how different grades should employ similar behaviors or kind of the same behaviors but in different to different effect
1: yeah yeah and and indeed you you, you can have that and i i have got something of a question against m- what i would call multiple level competencies but i mean but the, the key thing here is, is is to go back to the the original thing is about by actually said what is it that leads to superior performance now, the other interesting thing is that uh, there's been uh, some research done, and whilst correlation is not causation, I think it's really interesting of where where they look at effective and positive competency frameworks, exactly how many competencies they've identified and they use. Just, just let me ask you a question. How many on average do you think have you encountered you know what? What would be a, an average or a typical number you've seen in the competency framework for the competences that they describe?
0: Um, I'd say about eight to ten.
1: Eight to ten, yeah, yeah. Uh, the optimal number that correlates with success is about five.
0: Five, right? Okay, yeah. I've definitely yeah. seen more than five.
1: Yeah. The, in, in, my, case... in my
0: organization, you're supposed to pick the six that make the difference out of a, a, a choice of twelve. And I think right. it actually works quite well if you do it properly.
1: Yeah. Well, effectively, what they're saying, you know, if we go back to Bypasses' model, what we're saying is, you know, what are the five behaviors uh, in this role or function that actually lift people up into superior performance? You know, what is it that superior performers do that an average one does? Now, can, can we just stop a second? Th- can we just yeah, stop one
0: well, second? Because I was just thinking. When you initially said it, you said something like... Uh, or, uh, I, I heard in my head something around personality traits. That's not actually the word you said. You said, what are, what are the things the person... It wasn't what the person does. Because the behaviour is what the person does. But you said a different phrase, and it wasn't behaviour.
1: Yeah. I mean, what, what, he talk, what he talked about was the underlying characteristics of a person. Which yeah. leads to theory. Now, uh, when you when you start to dig underneath that and find out what are what are characteristics, it boils down to behaviours and actions.
0: Right. Okay. So we are talking about the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. I was gonna I was gonna pull you up on that. I was gonna ask a really clever question, but you've you've seen me off.
1: Well, do you know what the thing of is, the Thing is about this is that there's no sort of like golden book of competencies. And you could probably go and look at several different sources on this and you get seven different source definitions of what competency is. And indeed, you know, when when I've done research in this, that's exactly what you find. Different people call it different things. But being a a bear of, you know, (laughs) very small brain, I think behaviours and actions are probably the easiest and simplest to get your head around.
0: Well, they're also the most usable because if you're yeah. saying personality traits, there's not, not much we can do about that, whereas behaviors, of course, actions, yeah. as you say, we can all yeah. adopt actions, we can all do stuff. So I, I think it's, it's a much more useful approach anyway.
1: So, uh, so effectively what we're, say, what we're trying to identify here is what, what makes the difference and keep it to a manageable number. Because I, I've actually seen competency frameworks where they're, they're actually looking at 24 items.
0: 24? Yeah, yeah. Hell. Hell. That's ridiculous. Re- yeah. How yeah. yeah. are you supposed to remember 24 things?
1: I think 12 is too many. Way too many. I think five, uh, you know, that, that, that magic number is probably, and, and what you've got to think about is what we're saying to somebody is, look, this, these, these behaviors and actions really matter. And we want you to think about them. Well, if you're thinking about more than five things, in fact, on a daily basis, you might only think about one or two. You know, the more you get, the, the more diluted your focus and potential outcomes are, I think.
0: Yeah, I mean, 24 is just absurd, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, as I said, in my organisation, we pick six from a choice of 12. And yeah. and that's enough. Six is fine. Although keeping you around them all at the same time, even then, you know, you've got to have them written in front of you.
1: Yeah, exactly. So. The next thing I think that's important, you know, if you're going to go down this route, is to remember what they are there for. I think in really successful organisations where the competencies mean something, the first thing they do is act as an attraction. You know, we espouse these these traits, these characteristics, these behaviours, and we live by them. And if you develop a reputation in that area, then people are attracted to your company or your organization. So your recruitment ability increases. And and then the training element starts to appear because the first thing we do is do an induction or an orientation. You know, and one of the things we'd be selling at that point and embedding is what these key competencies are. And then it will be about the development and training of that person to do the job or fulfill the role that they've been given. And then over time it would be about assessment, performance appraisal, and eventually promotion, you know, to new roles and functions. You know, and and, and the overarching heading you would I think you would give to all that would be talent management.
0: Hang on, let, let me just go back a second because you're saying that what these competencies are what makes the difference between you know normal performance and superior performance. That yeah. That's not going to be the same for every job. It's not going to be the same for every grade in every job. So therefore, you, sorry, there's some screaming in the background. I think I don't know okay. what's happening. It's in my background, not yours. Okay. Uh, I um, it's uh, one of one of my children is having fun. So I, I'll put us, I'll put a stop to that in a second. <laughs> but um, uh,
1: yeah, don't let them have fun. No,
0: well, not 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 when I'm recording a podcast for Christ's sake. <laughs> but um uh i forgot what i'm saying now it was yeah it's not going to be the same for every job so if you're you know every organization probably has hr and finance which are very different functions from what might be manufacturing or customer service which is different yeah, from yeah. management leadership etc every every organization has a myriad of jobs mm. and the difference between superior performance in one and superior performance in another is going to mm. be very very different competences And therefore, creating that kind of organizational um, thing that you said, which would potentially attract recruitment, attract Mm. candidates, Mm. how how are you going to get much consistency around that?
1: Well, I think what you do, if if you look, for instance, let's do a comparison between Tesco and Virgin Atlantic. I mean, they're two separate companies, but they do have espoused values. And in each of those, I would say, for instance, for Virgin Atlantic, my experience there was it was very much a strong customer focus. Yeah, that's true. Whereas if you looked at Tesco, it would be about price consciousness and, you know, trying to provide value. And those things can then be transcribed into and you get three different types of competencies, uh, John, which really goes into what you were just saying, that they're not the same for everybody. But what you can sometimes get is what's called a generic or a threshold competence. And, and I would suggest in Virgin Atlantic, one of those would be customer focus. And, you know, you would have a, that would be a key and principal element, regardless of who you were in that business.
0: Yeah, I mean, if if we're going to, to values, then yeah. So so essentially, if, if if you're basing it on values and you're turning those into behaviours,
1: yeah,
0: right, okay. So gotcha. well,
1: yeah yeah I mean and you've got what you bearing what you've got to bear in mind is we're saying what is it that leads to superior performance and that performance is going to be in the context of a business you know and what is it that really leads that business to be successful and you know what those are are going to be different according to you know whatever you know whatever it is
0: but that, but that, that's an interesting point though because I don't know if everybody would necessarily think to put competences and link them back to values. I don't think that's obvious. I think that's a really important point.
1: You see, with my mind, uh, you know, we're not training anything unless there's an outcome and a result to it. Now, I know that that's not universal. But, uh, you know, to me, that's automatic. You know, what is it that's important to us and what behaviours are going... You know, but but again, what, what you've got to... Uh, I'm getting ahead of myself here. You've got to look at what the behaviours are that lead to superior performance. And one of the ways you would do that is not just looking at the values you'd look at the high performing people and try and identify what is it they're doing in this business that makes them better and contribute more effectively to what we're trying to achieve
0: right okay well uh, we're getting ahead of ourselves as you said so where do you want to go back to
1: well uh, well let's just follow up on that point you made that these competencies are going to be different according to where you are and it's a good idea just to define you know what So we've said what competencies are about, behaviours and actions, but you can actually talk about different types of competence. Okay. So the first one would be what I would call general or sometimes referred to as threshold. And what we're saying here is it doesn't matter if you're the cleaner or you're the CEO, this or these competencies will apply to you.
0: So these would be the ones that might link back to values?
1: They might do, yeah.
0: Okay, that makes that makes sense, yeah, so they're general, they're generic they, they They need to have sort of some organizational stuff flowing through there.
1: Yeah, the next one is what's called managerial, and this is anybody who might be from a team leader to a director, and what you might do is now contextualize some competencies to a management or a leadership function. So you know what what does a manager do? Uh, you know within this business that leads to superior performance
0: in in many ways that's a generic role across the organization isn't it and, and yeah and of course beyond the organization
1: yeah and the third one is uh, what I've called functional and this is where these user competencies relate specifically to technical or job specific elements
0: Okay, so this is like your guy in finance needs to be yes. attention to detail and all of that kind of stuff, which is less yes. important if you're in a, a role where creativity is the key, the differentiator.
1: Yes, yeah, yes. exactly.
0: So, so we've got three buckets of competences here.
1: Yeah, and, and, and what you just said is that you know in your company they have six and you, you pick out – sorry, they have 12 and they pick from that the six that are most relevant and pertinent. And that sounds like a perfectly good uh, method, but it but it also raises another interesting point about competencies that if they are directly linked to you know the performance of the business and consequently the performance gaps within the business, they are going to be dynamic documents, and what that means is that the competency framework that we have in 2017 may well be. Slightly or in some cases, even significantly different for the one that we have in 2018 because the environment's changed, the people have changed, the demands on the business have changed. And yet, what I see again and again and again are frameworks that were written just after the Norman invasion and have never been changed <laughs> since.
0: <laughs> yeah, that sounds familiar. It's almost like, it's almost like if the, there's, there's, Something that you shouldn't change about them because they should be timeless. Yeah, in, in, and the, and in a similar way to values, feel relatively timeless. They yeah. shouldn't really chop and change with the wind.
1: Well, and and the value, some values may well remain timeless, though, although not always. But the underlying behaviours and actions that somebody does to fulfil those values might well change. In fact, I'm almost certain they do. Do, you know, when the banks went down after Lehman Brothers. You know when went the way of all things the 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 sort of demands and requirements and indeed the business models of many companies change radically but in many organizations that competency framework remains static
0: yeah i I mean I, I'm sure that in most cases behaviors change anyway because people are cognizant of the real world and can yeah. see what's around them and their managers are encouraging different behaviors but yeah I, I suspect that In best case scenario, the competency framework is playing catch up a couple of years, three or four years, perhaps. I don't know. But it's playing catch up. And and it's certainly not leading behaviour.
1: Well, that's an interesting point, John, because best practice indicates that uh, 80% of your competency framework should be for contemporary demands, demands that we're asking today, and 20% should be saying, what do we need next year?
0: That may be best practice, but I don't think it's that practiced.
1: No, it's not. No, but it, but it does make sense.
0: Yes, it does.
1: You know, if you're if you're trying to say, well, you know, what what do we need today? But are there going to be new demands tomorrow? Then you know, you start teeing people up and, and uh, orientating them to what that is.
0: People are still probably not really using them. They're probably just getting them out the drawer when they have a performance appraisal once a year or whatever. So no matter yeah. how brilliantly and contemporary they are. I suspect they're still not going to have a massive impact.
1: Well, well, the first thing to say is I think in many cases they don't have any impact because they're no longer relevant and they are HR driven. And, that, and, and, the, and the first thing to say about it is that, you know, the people who design and develop the competency framework should not be HR. It, it should be an HR assisted process. Right. Okay. Should be, you know, it should be managers, uh, you know, at the, at the sharp end who are actually doing the, the footwork. In, in terms of identifying, you know, what are the five things that we want to drive into the business? And, you know, and if you keep it down to this small number, it's not such an arduous task to develop the competencies. But I, I know I've, been, I've worked with some organizations where they've spent six figures in defining and designing a competency framework.
0: Yeah, that sounds familiar again. <laughs> I keep saying that, but it does.
1: Yeah, well, you know, it, you know, it, it is universal. Now, w- what I would say is that if you're going to do it, you've got what do I, you've got the ground up process where you start with a blank sheet of paper and you write everything. You've got the other extreme, which is where you just copy somebody else's. And and I think the first one, the ground up one, the time and the effort and the money negates. <laughs> you know uh, uh, you know, the, the potential benefit just copying somebody else's doesn't guarantee anything and, and my general advice to most clients is, is to do a hybrid you know there are lots and lots and lots of competency frameworks out there that where the legwork has been done for you and and what you can do is you can talk to senior managers you can talk to people in the field present them with examples of competency framework and compare and contrast this to what they actually do that leads to performance you know better performance and in that way you can save yourself a lot of time in terms of writing uh, the competency framework you know because there's just there's just so much work already out there waiting for you to pick
0: and yeah especially in things like the managerial ones where there is a lot of or, or even the technical ones that you mentioned Yes because exactly most jobs are sort of replicated so you've got a lot of it done.
1: Yes yeah, so for instance, if, if you work in the hospitality industry, you know there are numerous professional bodies who have published the you know key, com- uh, key competencies and what you would be doing is looking at what your good people do uh, and and seeking those out in that framework and if necessary massaging them and that's why I'm saying it's a hybrid. You know, in some cases, you might well be able to do a cut and paste. In others, you might have to do a cut edit before you paste. But, but the other thing to say, John, which is an interesting exercise to do, is not just look at what your best people do, is look at what your worst people do. And then what you do, as part of your competency descriptor, is put down behaviours to be avoided.
0: Let's unpick that slightly. Because, yeah. um, so, so what you're suggesting well take us through a little bit about the process of how would you decide what the competencies are and then how would you decide which behaviors to write down on in both columns
1: yeah you, well first of all you start off and you you talk to strategic level management and you get them to define where the business is going where it needs to get to and what are the demands on the people in the business and obviously what do they want to see in what do they want to see present in their people and, you know, and if they can identify and isolate people who they say embody, you know, these particular traits and actions, then you interview or you can do direct observation of those people to isolate and define what it is they do in these competency areas that makes the difference.
0: Right. Okay. So we're starting with the senior management, but we're defining what are the things they want to put in. And yeah. then the isolating what they do to... Is that just through conversation, observation?
1: Well, it can be a number of things. It can be direct observation. It can be conversation. And and, and it's a a specific process to do the conversation, you know, to have the discussion with them where you get them to talk generically and then they get them to talk about their successes and then we we, we break it down into the behaviours. But you can also do what's called critical incident technique, you know, when something has gone particularly well or effective. And isolate what it was that happened in that incident that led to uh, positive outcomes. So
0: once we've done that, we've got some sort of description of positive outcome. Well, of positive behaviours that led to the, that, yeah. we, that we think led to the outcomes. Yeah, and we've got some descriptors of negative behaviours, things to avoid.
1: Not always, but you can have the latter. Yes.
0: Okay. All right. So maybe we have the latter. Yeah. So then, um, then, then what? Then what happens?
1: Well. Uh let, let, me, let me just recap. So you, what you have is, a, first of all, a sort of title or generic descriptor of the competence. And then you might have anything be, between one and five behavioral descriptors. And these are the actions and behaviors that these people demonstrate that contribute and lead into success. Uh, and then occasionally what you'll have are levels at which people at different levels might practice these behaviors. And again, I, I mean, I've seen some. Well, I think that's. I've seen some ridiculous models like that. I've seen one where they had five levels. Well, can you imagine? The, you write one, and then you have to write it again. Um, you're writing, rewriting it five times. Oh God! And it, and and the other thing to bear in mind, John, is if this is a dynamic document that's going to be changing every year. Well, you know. That is just a millstone round an, an HR department's neck.
0: That's just a way of encouraging people to not to do it, or you're exactly. just t- turning it into a tick box, aren't you?
1: Ninety-nine times out of a hundred, that's all it is. Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, the, I mean, the, the higher you make the obstacles, of course, of course, the more complicated, the more difficult, the more laborious. Of course, it's going to yeah be, be seen as less valuable.
1: So, right, so uh, so, we, so we have these descriptors now, and we have this this range of competencies. And, and don't forget, we're, we're trying to look at the magic number five. And what I've seen is organizations where they've identified between three and five what threshold competencies. And then what they would have is any technical competencies that might be required. Now, they don't, they, they sometimes have a management level, but they don't split it out into numbers. They just say, this is what a manager might do at this level and then the manager contextualise it to whatever job or function they're in. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, I think so, yeah.
1: So now the, the question is, how is this used in training? Well, if you were teaching, uh, let's just take a, 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 a problem-solving and decision-making, those competencies would be emphasised, and the actions and behaviours that relate to that particular uh, area would be emphasized and reasserted every time we visited it so basically we're making sure that these competencies now become core rather than peripheral and an afterthought so if i was going to be talking about if we said communication for instance was one of the key was one of the key competencies and indeed that particular competency occurs again and again and again in lots of frameworks and it clearly is an important competency then when you were going talking about problem solving you would talk about the importance of communicating to stakeholders and how you would do it and how you would try and get input from stakeholders so essentially what you'd be doing is causing these competencies to be a theme in the training regardless of what the subject or topic is because it's seen as an important behaviour that leads to superior performance.
0: Yeah, it it makes all sorts of sense because you're telling people what... You're telling people it sounds so obvious, doesn't it, really? Because you're describing what you want people to be doing to some degree, and clearly in some cases there's a knowledge and skill need that sits behind that. Yeah, Not always. It might be something else like confidence or habit or whatever, self-awareness. There's, there's other factors, of course.
1: Yes, yeah, yeah.
0: Some of the factors will be knowledge and skill based.
1: Yes, exactly.
0: So, if you genuinely want these things to make a difference to your organisation, then th- 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 it's kind of a no-brainer, isn't it? Really? Well, yeah,
1: it, 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 it is a no-brainer. But the, I think I think, like many things, the key thing here is I've used this word stakeholder. It's getting managers to buy into the, you know, to buy into this whole edifice. And and, and the, the way you do that is to get them involved in identifying what the key behaviours are rather than just dropping it on them from a great height uh, because, you know, they will just not sign up to it in those circumstances.
0: Yeah, I mean, although, I mean, you can't get everybody involved every time, especially no. not in a larger organisation, of course, but I suppose you can have a certain amount of, uh, you know, local... Oh, what's the word I want?
1: One of the things you can do, John, is that once you've started to get a prototype framework, you can then develop a questionnaire that's circulated, and you could circulate it to everybody, and get them to look at this and mark it in terms of, do you think this is important? Is this relevant to, you know, and you now start to get people, you know, giving you feedback on what you've produced. And, you know, there is some degree of involvement then for literally everybody in the business.
0: Yeah I know I mean I was I was trying to think of the word that you could have a certain amount of within each team or within each department there could be a certain amount of localization of whatever it is that you produce so yeah. the actual although the the headlines would be the same the descriptors might change slightly yeah so if you are in you know a finance a, a, accounts team you are going to have to have a different approach and if you're in the treasury team than if you're in a procurement team there will be slightly different focuses and there might be different behaviors
1: Exactly, and if you're only dealing with five competences, it's much easier to do than you know, ten or eleven.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
1: Now, now the other thing is, you know, you, you know, how do you? What once you've got this framework, uh, you know, how how can you use this to identify performance gaps in people? And I, th- I think the interesting thing here is how you, often and frequently, what ha- what happens is that, and this is bizarre. The performance management system or the appraisal system you know whatever you want to call it what will happen is that people will be marked against competencies on a scale of one to five and the one to five scale will not be uh, calibrated it'll just go from good to bad right so you get all sorts of variants and then None of that is used to define what the training need is because there's now a second section in the performance management system that basically says, do you want any training?
0: That's one of the worst questions,
1: isn't it? <laughs> but the, but that's my, that, I mean, I'm not, I'm not just taking worst case scenario here. That is the common case. Is it? We mark, we, we mark people against competencies and, and yet don't link that to any performance gap training that that person needs.
0: Yeah, the, the, I would, in my experience, certainly that gap is definitely there. there there's yeah. no, you know, the competencies. But, I mean, to be honest, as I said, in, in most organizations, I know the competencies are very tick-boxy and very few people really engage with them, certainly throughout the year.
1: Yeah, I'll tell you what my feeling is about, you know, how, how you get this performance appraisal linking in to training need analysis is that one of the things that most appraisals do is they give people objectives to achieve, goals and targets to deliver. Yeah. And this person should be demonstrating these behaviours and actions, these competencies, in the delivery of those objectives. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's the how you do it, not the what you do, isn't it?
1: exactly. So we define what they've got to do, and then they should demonstrate these competencies in how they do it. So the way you then mark people is you look at their objectives that they've achieved, and the work that they've done and you ask yourself how consistently have they applied these competencies when the opportunity arose did they communicate effectively with their team did they get the involvement from and the views and opinions of their staff you know when the opportunity presents itself did they do that and that would be called consistency and then the second one would be called capability and that would be how when they did that how effective were they in doing it? So, A, did they do it? And if they did it, how good were they? Yeah. And and now what you get is, A, an assessment of, did they achieve these goals and targets? And then in the achievement of those goals and targets, did they practice effectively the competences that we know lead to superior performance?
0: And now you've automatically got your gaps showing up, haven't you?
1: Ex- ex- exactly.
0: And then you can dig around why those gaps are there, which may or may not be learning needs
1: in yes in a nutshell, yeah, exactly. you
0: make it sound so simple gary
1: well i'll tell you I'll tell you what it is i i i think competency frameworks are the it's the it's like trying to see the wood for the trees there there are they're around us consistently, and there's they're this h r or personnel function labor and nobody ever sees to challenge it it's like it's a given we've got to have this and you you know there are lots of businesses that don't have competency frameworks that do very well thankfully. and there are other con- organizations that do very badly and they've got very detailed competency framework the issue is that if you're going to have one at least do it properly which might mean chucking out what you've currently got and starting with something fresh
0: yeah and and the way you're describing it it does sound like it's something i think the dynamic nature of it and in- one of the very first points you made, I think that in itself keeps it alive because you're always having to pay attention to it. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, secondly, you're involving people when you're actually creating the descriptors and creating the top lines and stuff. Yeah. So you, you're trying to get people involved and and and, and that. And also, I, I think if you're focusing on superior performance, that automatically is more interesting and inspiring. Yeah. Than if you're just describing some stuff that you're supposed to do. But if you're actually saying, look, here, here are the keys to superior performance. And if you want, you know, top marks in your appraisal, I need yeah. to see some evidence that you're exhibiting these behaviours.
1: Well, you, you said an interesting thing there, uh, John. You said, the, you know, rather than things that these are things you've just got to do. I'll tell you where I think this all came from. Do you remember the introduction of MVQs?
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. National Vocational Qualifications.
1: Qualifications. And and, and one of these MBQs was, uh, was by the Management Charter Initiative. And these were MBQs describing the behaviours of managers. Well, the thing is, if you're creating a competency framework that is applicable for everybody, first of all, you're going to have to cover a huge range of competencies because of the huge variance in companies and businesses. And secondly, it's going to be descriptors of behaviours which don't necessarily lead to superior performance. And I think competencies were really done a disservice by that initial strategy of MVQs because it suddenly took this concept of this is what leads to superior performance and it converted it in, if you do this, you'll be all right.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. That, and then that's that kind of, yeah, you, you'll be all right. Uh, and that, that's another word for mediocre, isn't it? Yes. It's like, he, he, here's how to be all right, which is much yeah. less inspiring than here's how to deliver superior performance, which for yeah. most of us should be motivational.
1: Exactly. And, and the worst, you know, what happened to me when those, when those MBQs came in, I can remember doing one job at Volvo, and it was right during the, the middle of a recession. And one of the competencies that was defined was recruitment and selection interviewing. And nobody at Volvo recruited or interviewed anybody for two years and were not likely to. And yet they had to dis- they, had- they had to display and collect evidence that they were competent in this area. Well, you know, come on. Yeah. And then and then and then the and then that the excuse was, well, these are skills that they might not be using now, but they will in a couple of years forgetting, of course, that these skills and this knowledge would have completely evaporated within about three months, you
0: know. Well it's that's been really interesting walk through these competency frameworks, which isn't necessarily a, a subject which is going to excite many people.
1: No, exactly.
0: <laughs> no, well it it doesn't. It just feels like a laborious chore, to be honest, most of the time when you talk about things like that. It's stuff HR makes you do. It's in a category yeah. of that. Stuff that yeah. takes you away from what your day job is, and what, you know what you really want to be doing. Yeah, but actually, as you said, I mean, if if done properly, it is actually quite an enabling tool for motivation, but also for actually yeah. genuinely focusing people on superior performance.
1: And and the key thing is, that, John, I think you've got to break the mindset of some HR managers who view, you know, have a view of what a competency framework is which nine times out of ten is not what it was originally intended to do.
0: Yeah, and I think that's a really important point, exactly those points you started with. Um, And I think once you start on that basis, which also, again, the point about it being dynamic and being focused on immediate contemporary concerns and, and to some extent future concerns. Yeah, yeah. I think once you start adopting those principles, a lot of the rest of it kind of flows. Yeah, yes. And and the fact that it flows into learning and development because it naturally reveals gaps and it also yeah. also reveals gaps, but it also reveals aspiration. Yeah.
1: If that makes sense. No, no, yeah, exactly. And the only reason I just I suggested this, this John, I just know that 99 times out of London, the competency framework is a labor that does nothing, but where it's done properly, you know, it can be a it can be a real benefit and and a, a really beneficial, but it's just done right so rarely.
0: Well, hopefully, after listening to this podcast, the world will change and everyone will start adopting and making fantastic <laughs> yeah, competitive frameworks that really inspire and uh, you know improve individuals' motivation, performance, and the rest of it, and organizational, of course.
1: Yeah, of course.
0: Thanks so much for that, Gary. Hope to see you again soon on this podcast.
1: Yeah, hope so too.